So let's talk about Man United against Arsenal. It was a really close game. I believe the last fixture that these two played at the Emirates Stadium last last season in the Premier League. I thought that was a much of a one-sided match between uh, Arsenal and Man United as compared to this. The scoreline is relatively more in the favour of Arsenal than it was back then. But I thought this game was a bit close. And this is not... To the credit of Manchester United, in my opinion, it is to the uh, shortcomings of Arsenal they had. I think second half, Arsenal were just not at it. Uh, they did have chances. I mean, if you look at it, Saka, Saka completely missing that big chance where he should have scored. And you also had Havertz, that one chance for him. But, you know, I, I, thought, I thought Man United again. I thought... In many ways, I think Man United's best game was this one, as compared to the previous three. The first one against Wolves, I don't think they were up. Uh, they were there for the races there. Against Tottenham, they got schooled. Uh, against Nottingham Forest, they were not that great. They got a dodgy penalty, this, that and the other. And uh, against Arsenal, they stayed in the fight. I think that is important. They stayed in the fight and I think that you can give them compliment for that. I think the way Arsenal are playing at this moment, even against Fulham, they were not that convincing. So I would say this is not the best time for Arsenal. I think the international break has come at the right time. They have mustered a few points and I think that's good. But, you know, they have to get some spike in their performance because they are the most worthy competitors, or should I say the most likely competitors against Man City in this Premier League title race. So, um Apart from that, I just think uh, Arsenal were not that great. Uh, United, um, I, I think there's a lot to talk about United as well. Uh, but first, we need to get into what's happened with Sancho and Eric Ten Hag. And in my opinion, I, I've got no problem with Eric Ten Hag not picking Sancho because he's not up to the races in the, in, in, in the training. He's not uh, training at full potential and everything. I think he's got his reasons. I think he's got every right to drop Jadon Sancho. I've got no problems with that. But then, coming out in the public and smashing your player like that, that he's not playing, I think that's completely unnecessary. I don't know what's, what's happened with Sancho and Ten Hag behind the scenes because this is completely throwing your team, uh, uh, throwing your player under the bus. You've got, no, you've got no business going out there because you know if, if someone accuses me, I'm going to come out and defend myself and I'm going to throw the manager out in the mud as well because this is not the first time that's happened. I think Rashford took it in a very good way that he was uh, late for the team meeting and stuff like that. And he took it in a very, very good way. But Sancho hasn't. And I don't blame him. It's, it's, it's completely possible that he is not liking the way uh, Eric Ten Hag has treated him in, in, in the press conference. I just don't, I, I just don't think that it's, it's, it's okay. Because you come out there, you completely smash your player like that in public. It's, it's uncalled for. It's, it's, you're trying to gather attention. You're trying to say, you know what, I'm the most disciplined guy in the world. It's, it's not like that. Come on, you have to be completely um, sure about what the fallout is going to be. And in my opinion, the fallout has always, is, is always going to say, with, is, is always going to end with Jaden Sancho coming out with another statement. It's, and, I'm, and I completely understand what, what Sancho's coming out and saying. He does not want him or his image to come out there and be said as if he's not good at training because even if he's not in Ten Hag's plans, even if he's going to move out of Manchester United in January, 
what are the consequences that this statement can have on that move. You know, say for example, a club like Dortmund, if they want to get him back, they would think, you know what, this guy's not serious about training anymore. So why should we get? Uh, why should we get him? I mean, there are a million different things that Tenar could have said, but he chose to say that he was not good at training. I just don't think that's good enough. Uh, that's not good management of players. It's just ridiculous from Ten Hag. And I think uh, they should sort, sort these things out away from the public eye. I think that's that's how you handle these things. You you won't see Carlo Ancelotti coming out and saying these things. You won't see Jurgen Klopp coming out and saying these things. I mean, we've seen for so long that players like Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and Naby Keita haven't been at the races at, at Liverpool. But I never saw Jurgen Klopp coming out and bashing them out in the public. Again, Jurgen Klopp is a completely different manager as compared to Eric Ten Hag. But th- th- this is not really called for. This is just not really great management from Ten Hag. But yeah, coming to the game, uh, Anthony again started for Manchester United, which is really poor. I mean, I don't know why he's starting. The one thing that he gives you, and that is defensive commitment. But apart from that... He he is abysmal, and he has been abysmal for the last, I don't know, for how long. He He's not played well. He's consistently dropping 5 on 10 every single game, and he still continues to pick them. Eric Ten Hag is such a stubborn guy. He continues to pick players like Anthony in the team. I don't know for what reason. Um, but yeah, it, it is what it is right now. I, I, would, see, I would like to see Facundo Peistri come in there, because that kid deserves some opportunity. Surely, I mean, come on, you, you have to give him some sort of a game to prove. I mean, he could have proven himself. I mean, even in the Spurs game, Paisley did so much more in the 20 minutes that he came on the pitch than Anthony's done for this entire season. And he's played a lot of, uh, he, he's had a lot of game time. So anyways, uh, it's, it's, it's nothing to worry about. You know, Anthony's going to be playing in the next game anyways. Um Talking about the game and the way that it started, I thought United did not even enter Arsenal's penalty area for the first 20-25 minutes. The one time that they entered the penalty area, they scored a goal. It was a brilliant goal from Marcus Rashford. I don't think Ramsdale could have done anything about it. I think it's just a brilliant goal. Um, brilliant football from uh, Marcus Rashford in, in many ways. And again, it, it comes out from uh, a, a loose pass from Kai Havertz, which, I mean, he had he, he's having a time to forget. I mean, I don't know what Arsenal saw in Kai Havertz. So they had to pay sixty-five million for him. I mean, that's a sort of a money that you could use so much. I mean, you, you could have a striker like Vlahovic in that sort of money. I mean, it's that crazy. But anyways, you had that loose pass. It picks up, picked up by Eriksson, and uh, Eriksson got it towards Rashford and um, and and scored a goal. And in many ways, I thought Man United played this game. As a team like Bournemouth or a Nottingham Forest or um, any poor team, I mean, I'm not saying poor team, a team like Crystal Palace would do, coming at the Emirates and sitting back and absorbing pressure. That's that's not, just not Man- Manchester United. Come on, I mean, you, you're starting a World Cup winner in Lissandro Martinez there. You've got a five-time Champions League winner in Casemiro playing on uh, playing in your team. You've got. Bruno Fernandes, who's probably the best player in the Premier League, as people say that he is, and so is Marcus Rashford. And you've got a hundred million pound signing in Anthony on your team, and you're playing like this. It's just no substance in this game. 
You've got Andre Onana who played the Champions League final last season. And this is sort of the picture that you present to your to your fans. I mean, coming out and playing like a Crystal Palace or Nottingham Forest or Bournemouth or Norwich, any time, any team could come. It, the first te- 35 minutes, Manchester United had nothing going front in apart from that one chance that Rashford had and he scored. They had nothing. I mean, this is just not really good football, is it? Um, but yeah, credit to Arsenal. The pressing was brilliant. The way he handled the presence of Onana, who is not David De Gea, of course. He's an extra body in that uh, back line, which can regulate the ball. And we've seen that a lot this season. He's a good passer with the ball. And, well, he is a massive shouter as well, because he is always, you know, coming out and saying, calm down, calm. I mean... For fuck's sake, just, just, just don't. I mean, I'm sorry for the words, but, but just do not do that anymore. It just seems annoying, doesn't it? Um, but yeah, I think uh, the way Arsenal handled the presence of Onana, as I said, was very, very good. Uh, I think the game plan from Arsenal was very, very well oiled. They had a few chances, as I said. They, they should have scored a few with Havertz, the Odegaard of of course, he scored. I mean, that was a brilliant, that's a beautiful Arsenal goal. That, and I would say a few things about Declan Rice. I think for 105 million, it's it's just worth the money. And my question is to Liverpool: if they had 105 million, why did they not go for Declan Rice instead of? I mean, they they wanted to go for Caicedo. I I don't know if they the the datas did not match for Declan Rice or anything, but. I mean, of course, you know, when Declan Rice was transferred to Arsenal, uh, Fabinho and Henderson were still at the club. They had not moved to Saudi Arabia. So there are a lot of uh, things that could come into picture. But anyways, I think Declan Rice was just amazing in this game. The way, the technical ability of Declan Rice, it's not really well highlighted when he plays for uh, when he plays for West Ham United. But when he plays for England, it's, I mean, it's most of the times it's against the Minnows against, uh, <laughs> I mean, Faroe Islands or Estonia or all those, yeah, all, all those countries. And when he's playing as the bigger team, he's um, he's playing as if uh, England are the second version of West Ham United anyways. But yeah, that's it. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> we're talking about Declan Rice's previous stints. But this game, I thought Declan Rice was just brilliant. I think without the ball, the way he scans and the way he anticipates movements and everything... It's just brilliant. He's a proper six that wants to defend. He wants to contribute defensively. And I think that's good. Uh, again, with Thomas Partey not playing in this game with a weird sort of right-back position that he's occupying, I think Zinchenko from the left-back, it makes sense. Um, I thought the way uh, Zinchenko came and inverted in left-back from left-back and almost sometimes going out wide and playing as an orthodox left-back it makes a lot of sense. I think that is the way to go forward. No real experiments in that in that system with Arteta did in terms of the defensive organization and in terms of the way the patterns were going on. I think that was cool. that that was props to Arteta for not overthinking it because he's done that multiple times and that's not been good for him so far. So I think um, the way this game was managed by Arteta in terms of with the ball, without the ball, Saka and Martinelli out wide just pushing the uh, United defence narrow, narrow, narrow and narrow. I think that made a lot of sense. Uh, Kai Havertz, I do not understand what he's in for because he gives you nothing with the ball. He gives you nothing without the ball. Uh, the one thing that he gave with the ball was a goal to Manchester United. And uh, I mean, 
I don't know. I mean, it's high time now Fabio Vieira should play in this uh, in, in this Arsenal team. I mean, I've seen a lot of Fabio Vieira in 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 these few games that I I mean, it's 10 times the 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 work that Havertz is doing. I mean, Fabio Vieira is a very very good player. I've seen him for Porto. I've seen him uh a few games that he's played last season at Arsenal and the some uh, some of the things that he's done this season, it, it it's been really good. The way he's played, the way uh, the way he's controlled the game in tight situations. I think that is something that you want if you're an Arsenal fan. I think he is someone who can give you a lot of things without the ball as well. Um, so I think, yeah, next game, I wish to see him. He's not called for the Portuguese national team, which is a bit of a sad thing. But, I mean, anyways, we've got lots of abundance. I mean, that's uh, that that's... I mean... Uh, it's 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 so much talent in the Portuguese midfield. So I mean, you can't really blame Roberto Martinez. Um, but yeah, uh, I I believe this is going to be really interesting to see how things just turn out to be in this uh, in this transfer window. I'm um, not in the transfer window, but in 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 the games to come for Fabio Vieira. As far as United are concerned, as 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 again I said, the way they structured up in the first half, I think they were they were better in the first, in the last five minutes, but. Apart from that, the possession stats, everything, it was just not good enough. And I can understand Ten Hag's not got the players, but I think Ten Hag's player profile is just ridiculous. He's, he needs a sporting director, and that's why Ralph Ragnick was there. But he did not want Ralph Ragnick in there because I thought he considered himself as the messiah of the club and whatnot. But I thought this this thing with his player profile, I just don't... I just don't think he's, he's right. I mean, he wanted players like Benjamin Pavard and stuff like... I've got no idea what he's thinking about. Uh, it's just ridiculously poor in terms of player profiles. I mean, Anthony, you can see what he was trying to do with Anthony. I mean, I've not seen it um, since he's come to Old Trafford. Um, but yeah, I think the player profile and everything, I think they need a sporting director. None of this John Murder thing is working because he's got no brains of his. Um I, I, I think this time you have to say that you've got a... I mean, if you look at it, he's he's targeted Mason Mount, he's targeted Anthony, he's targeted guys like Lissandra Martin, he's just good. Um, but apart from that, it, it, he's he's not really ad, good at, you know, scouting players for his own team. You need someone with a proper brain who's got the proper uh, expertise to do a job for you and not use yourself because... You've been given four hundred million pounds over the last two seasons, and you've spent it on you know sixty percent or seventy percent of it has been spent on really ridiculous players and players. I mean, I, I've got no idea about Casemiro. I, I I just think he's he he is not his signing, but he's come up well. But apart from that, it's just been ridiculous. Uh, talking about Rasmus Hoyland and the camera that he played in the second half, I thought he was very very good. And I've said this a million times. I think Rasmus Hoyland is a very very good player. If you could check out my podcast from last season. I've repeatedly got a note of Rasmus Hoyland in there because I I I always thought there was a player in there because the way he turns, the way he twists, the way he plays the game with his back to goal, he's he's amazing player. And you, then you get the uh, uh, the things that you know Eric Ten Hag as a manager could develop into him because he's a very good man manager and not, not a man manager but a good coach which could inculcate in him. The values of uh, getting in behind and uh, 
doing the dirty work for Rashford so he can occupy a few good spaces in the front line. So I think that could be interesting. But I thought the way he pulled up a cameo away at Arsenal, I think that was very much encouraging. I don't know if he's called up for the Danish national team. I won't have any problem if he's called up to the Danish national team because it would just give him some time to be match fit uh, for the next games to come for Manchester United. Uh, talking about the second half, I thought Arsenal completely dropped the ball. And the first 15 minutes, uh, I thought the first 15 minutes, yeah, until the 60-minute mark, I thought Arsenal were good. But after that, they just completely dropped the ball and they were just not good enough for me. You have to be looking for a win every time you're playing the Emirates, regardless of the team that uh, the opposition has. I think Arsenal had to do that. They did not. Um, I thought they were not great in terms of managing the possession in many ways. Uh, they gave up some cheap chances. Uh, Rashford had that one chance where he should have squared it down to another player. He could have passed, I don't know who it was, um, but he should have passed it down to that that guy, but he did not. And I, I, I just think, you know, I, even in that offside thing, with the naked eye, I think it was it, it looks onside. I can understand Eric Ten Hag, but what a stupid statement that is. But it's just ridiculous. But anyways, um, he thinks that you know it, there there is a foul on Johnny Evans. I mean, we will get to that. But yeah, in the second half, I thought Arsenal dropped the ball. United got a bit better. The introduction of Rasmus Hoyland changed the game. The introduction of Garnacho completely livened up the place as well. With his goal, I think uh, there was a sense of, you know what, there could be a chance where United do get a similar opportunity like this and they might just nick up a result again. Uh, they were in driving position to draw the game. Um, but the thing is that uh, they lost two central defenders. One, Lissandra Martinez, and the other one, Lindelof. They already have uh, not got the services of Rafael Varane for the next one month at least. So they're in a bit of a limbo here. Uh, so... They uh, were paired up with Johnny Evans and Harry Maguire. So that's a bit of an unlucky thing. Um, but yeah, as I said, the introductions of uh, all these players were uh, was very was very interesting in terms of the offensive options that I'm talking about. Defensive options were a bit depressing anyways. Um, the way, again, they were at it for Manchester United was very good to see for the next 10-15 minutes. But... Then again, there comes a corner, and then then again, close to the injury time, Arsenal start again uh, to exert pressure on uh, on United. Eventually, they get a corner in around probably the last five minutes of in at a time, which was ridiculous. Anyways, but they get a corner, and there is no one marking Declan Rice on the far post. Eric Ten Hag thinks that there was a foul on Johnny Evans. There was absolutely none of it. Uh, nobody was complaining. I mean, I don't know why he was complaining. Um, but yeah, he thinks that even Garnacho was not outside. Come on, just just get a life. Come on, man. Um, but then the the goal goes in. Uh, it's two one, and then you know United are attacking full fledged attack. No one's back there apart from Johnny Evans. And then the goal goes in from Gabriel Jesus. It's game set and match, and it's good night for <laughs> it's good night for uh, Eric Ten Hag and Man United. That's the second loss that they've had. They could have had. One win and two losses and one draw, anyways. But you know, it's 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 been a sorry situation. Arsenal also had a penalty chopped off, and I think for right reasons. Uh, Kai Havertz had no business going down in that area. It's just ridiculous thing, but it was good that it was chopped off. Um, 
uh, it looked at first at first glimpse it looked like it was a penalty, but in the end I thought yeah it was the right decision made. Um, if you talk about this, if you talk about this, uh, this game, I thought um, Arsenal they really have to pick themselves up. Drop Kai Havertz for fuck's sakes, please. Uh, I'm, again, I'm sorry, but uh, he, he's not giving you anything. Play Fabio Vieira in there. Um, in terms of Man United, I've I've got I've had enough of Anthony. I've got I've had enough of Anthony playing on that right wing. He's been dropped from the Brazilian national team squad. Um, we'll have to see how things pan out there because there's some personal issues with the uh, with, with the attack on his former girlfriend and so, stuff like that. It's just the less we talk about it, the better. Uh, and apart from that, we've also got to take a look at what's happened with uh, what's going to happen with uh, Rasmus Hoyland if he's match fit because. Anthony Martial is just invisible in terms of how he's how he's playing. I think the positives, are, especially from these four games, is Andre Onana. The way he's marshalling the way United are going to play. He's the one who's taking the mantle of passing it from the back to the front players. And every single time he was hitting Ben White because Marcus Rashford was on, was on his way on that side of the pitch. Rashford, in my opinion, was not really visible in this game apart from that goal and a few opportunities here and there. He needs to be more involved for my liking. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I thought it was a very, very interesting game. United are currently in the bottom half of the table. They need to sort themselves out because that's gonna that 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 has to be the priority right now. Sofian Amrabat is signed for Man United. I don't think he's the he's he's the most consistent player there is, but he is a very, very good player on his day. He can give you a seven eight very very good matches at the very highest level but apart from that he's a leader he's a fighter he's a grinder i think that's what they need i don't think i don't subscribe to this idea that uh, united should play in a double pivot of two defensive midfielders it's just not really what uh, they should do but yeah anyways i think if uh, sofian amrabat comes in i think in these tough games away at anfield away at the etihad they've already had a taste of what's going to happen away at arsenal but you know, in these sort of games, you can away at Bayern Munich, of course. Um, in these sort of games, you can obviously have a double pivot of Casemiro and Amrabat, and you can, you know, you can see how things turn out to be. You know, it could be a very interesting setup if this, if this comes up to very good effect. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I think it's uh, it's it's a very interesting situation right now for Man United. As for Arsenal, they need to sort some things out very very quickly. So let's take a look at some of the other games from the Premier League. And we had Man City against Fulham at the Etihad Stadium. Not a good result for Fulham, but I have sympathy with them because uh, they played really well for the first half. They kept Man City content in the uh, in, in, in the first 45 minutes. They got a goal from Tim Ream as well. And then just before halftime, the goal came in from Nathan Ake, which in my opinion is never, is never, 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 ever going to be allowed in football but I don't know how they allowed it I don't know what VAR was doing and everything but at, with with that goal I'm I'm absolutely sure that the heads go down the heads go down and I'm, it, this is not an excuse for Fulham to lose by five goals to one but um, of course you you could say that you know uh, things like that happen it could just completely down your morale after you play so well in the first half so I can give them a pass for it. Uh, big news from Fulham is that Jean Palinia is back at Fulham. He will not be joining Bayern Munich. It's a sad story because I would like to see him in a big club like Bayern. Um, I think Bayern needs someone like a Jean Palinia. He is—he's um, a wonderful guy. He's a wonderful player. I, th- I love him to bits. 
uh, since the season that he had with Sporting when they won the title. I've, I've been following him ever since and uh, I, I just believe that he deserves a move. I think he deserves a big move and I think the way uh, the Bayern CEO has come out and said that, you know what, we might just, uh, you know, everything, goodbyes sometimes mean that you might see some, your, your compatriot for another time in your life. And I think in January, it is completely possible that they go out for him again because, you know, the main purpose of that Juan Palini signing is going to be uh, for the Champions League knockout games, which I presume they will be there because if they're not, it it could be a catastrophe. But yeah, I think uh, for Bayern Munich, they should be uh, looking to get his services in January. If not, if not for him, you know, they might go for another midfielder. I mean, they're linked to guys like Mats Viefer. They're linked to guys like... Um, even our Hellion show, I mean, I don't know how that comes out, but you know, anyways. Um, moving on from that game, we had Aston Villa against Liverpool at Anfield. Again, a field day for Liverpool. I thought Aston Villa had a few chances, but the John Muggin, uh, John McGinn uh, had that one chance. He also had Leon Bailey with that another chance. But yeah, I, I just think, you know, the game plan from Unai Emery was completely rubbish. Uh, and that could happen anyways. But and it's a big game. You have to be spot on with the game plan. But... It was not to be. Um, I thought the Highland that they played without anyone closing down the ball was just madness. And how can you give so much time and space? When you're playing a Highland, you cannot give so much time and space to uh, to Trent Alexander-Arnold. By the way, shout out again to Dominic Sabosley. As I said on Twitter, am I surprised? I'm absolutely not. But am I in awe of Dominic Sabosley? I am since the last two years. He's just an amazing player. And as I said, I would like to have him at Madrid, but... He is right now a Liverpool player and I think, you know, the Premier League is having a taste of what an amazing talent he is. Um, and again, he's a worker. He's, a, he's, he's got that lungs and he's just working hard and hard and hard for his teammates. He's such an amazing prospect to have in your team and such an amazing player, isn't he? It's a well-oiled machine, isn't he? Um, but yeah, as I said, you know, the, the, the game plan from Aston Villa was not, uh, not, not good enough. Uh, by the way, shout out again to Alexis McAllister, who played as a six in this game. Very, very good game for him. Scanning the plays, you know, passing everything was very, very good. And again, I think not having Van Dijk and Konate for this game made Liverpool very much potent against the high line of Aston Villa. Because you've got two players in Gomez and Matip who can pass the ball relatively more better than uh, Van Dijk and Konate would do. I think when Van Dijk and Konate are back, they will get the first uh, two places in those uh, centre-back areas. But for now, I think it's very, very good that they've uh, addressed these uh, these situations. I think Matip and Gomez, if they can keep their level up for a few more games, they could have a really good season in terms of the centre-back depth with Jaro Kwanzaa as well playing really, really well. Not Jaro, but Jaro Kwanzaa. Yeah, so he's playing really well. So that's another positive for them. So... Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good weekend for them. And again, you know, players like Sabosli coming in and Robertson coming in and Klopp again saying that Salah's going to stay. I think he's going to stay. I, I think that's uh, that's the bottom line of it. Uh, moving on uh, to another game, which we saw in this uh, in, in, in in at this weekend was between uh, was between Spurs and Burnley. The Spurs were really good. Young Minson getting a hat trick, playing as centre forward. I don't think that's going to be changed again. I thought Manor Solomon had a very, very positive display at left wing. So that could be one thing to look at. Uh, Pape Sar and... Uh, I thought I thought Pape Sar and... Uh, and Yves Basuma, that, that midfield partnership is very is really getting 
uh, a feel for it now. And James Madison at that number ten position, I think again it's it's, it's a really nice thing to look at, look forward to, with the way uh, with the way everything can up for this team. Uh, but yeah, you know, I think Ange Postecoglou's got this team really well oiled. They've got really well drilled for this team. I think uh, the way they play is very positive. So I think they will they will get job done. Uh, on most of the occasions. Uh, yeah, positive display for Spurs. By the way, Chelsea were against Nottingham Forest at the bridge, and this was, again, a disaster class from Caicedo and Enzo Fernandez. I don't know why Enzo Fernandez was playing so high up the pitch, because, you know, you negate all his uh, passing abilities and all his uh, positive attributes on the game. Uh, but, yeah, anyways, Nottingham Forest get a goal. It was a poor... I mean, I don't know what they were trying to do, Enzo and Caicedo, um, but they cost them, them a goal. And I'm, I'm not... If I'm a Chelsea fan, I don't need to be worried about Caicedo and Enzo. The thing I need to be worried about is the creativity. And they're relying on something that has to happen from uh, uh, from Sterling, which is really rare. I mean, he had a very good performance against Luton Town, but that's that's about it. Is he going to be the saviour for them this season? Absolutely not. He's going to tail off some time. I, I don't know how this is, but this is just turning out to be another sorry story for Chelsea Football Club. And I just think, you know, that could this could get ugly for Pochettino if he does not sort things out properly. Chilwell playing at left wing is just pissing me off. I mean, it's not pissing me off, it's just getting me more riled up because I think Chilwell is a very good player and he can have a very good time playing as a conventional left back rather than playing as a left winger because he's not giving you anything apart from crosses which are reaching on the opposite flank to Malo Gusto. I mean, it's just it's just ridiculous. Anyways, moving on from the Premier League, we now have to talk a little bit about the Bundesliga, wherein we had Bayern Munich against Borussia Mönchengladbach, which is the original Der Klassiker. This was a boogie fixture for Bayern Munich over the years. They have not won against Borussia Mönchengladbach for the last six games running in all competitions. And uh, they get the victory this time away at the Volkswagen Arena. In the first half, I thought they were really poor. Ikatura got the goal, but I thought, you know, Friedrich could have a very, very um, good uh, case for having himself on the score sheet as well. But I thought Bayern Munich were just poor. They, They really were poor in this game. I did not think that they deserved anything from that first half. Leroy Sané did came close, but in the second half, Leroy Sané just turned things up. Uh, Harry Kane had a very poor outing, I think, in my opinion. Um, uh, I thought the way the game was constructed, uh, it just felt as if you know Bayern were not at the races for this game. But I think the individual brilliance comes to the uh, comes to the party. Um, again, I, I, th- I thought it was a very very positive display from Leroy Sané. They move on. I think it's it's a very positive thing that they've got another victory under the belt because they are challenging for the Bundesliga title and they're challenging against Bayer Leverkusen who just pummeled Darmstadt in the in their game away at at home at the Bayer Arena. Uh, they beat them five by five goals to one. They've conceded three and they've scored what? So let me count. They've scored. 11 goals in three games and they've conceded three goals in three games so it's been a very positive start for Antran uh, for, for Bayer Leverkusen they've uh, they've managed to keep hold of Edmund Tapsoba they've managed to keep hold of uh, Jeremy Frimpong for this season um, they've signed some really good players Victor Bonifasa scoring two goals again he scored away at the ba- away against uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach on match day two he did that again so that's good from uh, Borussia Dortmund uh, so not from Borussia Dortmund but for Bayer Leverkusen I think it's, it's it's a very positive thing you know they, they're, they're doing really well uh, they're playing extremely very good football um, 
I like the way this team is constructed. The team is very positive. They go forward very well. You've got players like Ezekiel Palacios, uh, who, who got himself a goal, uh, of course, a very fortunate one at that. But um, yeah, I think it's there are lots of positives. As I said, they are a team for me that, that I... That there's, it's, it's a team to watch out for in many ways. They, they are such an amazing team. Uh, it really is a... Uh, it's it's a very well constructed team, and alongside for me, alongside uh, the likes of uh, what do you say, uh, with the likes of uh, Benfica and Real Sociedad, I think uh, for me, Bayer Leverkusen is one of the teams that I am going to keep a keen eye on. I like I like Xabi Alonso, likes the way he the the way he sets his teams up. Very open attacking football, but they're very good defensively as well as we've seen in these few games. Of course, they ate a goal from a set piece, but. I think that this, this display has to be a, a big uh, pearl in their armoury. They are going to go away at the Allianz Arena after the international break to play by Bayern Munich, which will be a big test. And then we'll see how this team is, uh, uh, is, is, is going to be ready for the, next, for, for, the, for the remainder of the season. As far as Borussia Dortmund go, they were at home at the Signal Iduna Park against Heidenheim. They got themselves two goals in the first half. And I thought that, that that just could be it. Against a newly promoted side, you need to just get those things up and then you're up and running. But again, poor defensive judgments, poor defensive errors. And they get themselves on the back of uh, really a disappointing first, uh, disappointing start of the season as they are... Uh, I mean, they, they, they drew the game 2-2 in the end with a dodgy penalty that was given to Eden Heim. But... I, th- I think in all, the, the really concerning start of the season for Borussia Dortmund. As far as uh, RB Leipzig go, after the lost, uh, after the loss of the season, after the first loss of the season against Bayer Leverkusen, they have dusted themselves up and they have scored a total of eight goals in two games and conceded just one. Uh, they were up against Union Berlin, and this was uh, another match to watch out for in the Bundesliga. This was. Uh, uh, th- this was a very amazing game where the first half there was not really much of action, but in the second half that call from Xavi Simons was really, really good. And then the cameo from uh, Benjamin Sesko, who I think should play. I mean, I don't understand why Yusuf Palton is playing in this team anymore. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think uh, Benjamin Sesko, with these two goals, I think he will play the next game for, uh, for, for RB Leipzig. I think it's inevitable that he does. Um, but yeah, very positive display for, uh, for, for, for RB Leipzig. Union Berlin got themselves a man sent off in Kevin Volland as well, who has been very good for them this season uh, when he started out. Uh, by the way, yeah, uh, Union Berlin in a very, very interesting group alongside Napoli, Braga and Real Madrid in the Champions League. We'll have to see how things pan out for them. Um, moving on uh, from the Bundesliga to La Liga now, where at the time of recording, we still haven't had any updates for Atletico Madrid versus Sevilla, the game was postponed because of bad weather conditions, but the rain never came. And I don't know what the weather forecast was doing in that, weather department was doing on that day in Madrid. But anyways, uh, that game is postponed, so one less game to talk about. Uh, but we did have Osasuna against Real Madrid, against Barcelona at, uh, in Pamplona at the El Sadar. And this was not a good game again for Barcelona. They had a dodgy penalty, in my opinion. It was a very soft penalty given to Barcelona. Lewandowski did score that penalty. Catena got himself sent off in, in the process. Um, Barcelona did concede a few chances. I think that was concerning. Um, and so was the finishing from some of the players. I mean, Gundogan had that big chance. So had Frankie de Jong. Um, I don't know what to say. I mean, Barcelona getting those results. I mean, they're two points behind Real Madrid. 
who are not convincing themselves, but we'll talk about Real Madrid in a bit. But this is really concerning if you're a Barcelona fan because you're seeing nothing, no process this season. It's just like the way they ended the last season. It's just a continuation of the way uh, they were playing. And it's just no optimism, no sorts of uh, you know, spark in anything that they do. So I think there, there is some question marks there. Um, Osasuna had a few chances where they could not capitalise. Um, well, we'll have to see how João Félix and João Cancelo get themselves integrated into this team because I think they should be good enough for this team. Félix, I don't know what the what what is he going to play. I mean, he's I think he's a second striker, but is he going to play alongside Lewandowski? I have my reservations against it. We'll see. I, th- I think it's a very open situation right now. I think the game against Cadiz, the game against Hetafe, the game against Villarreal, now this game against Osasuna, they haven't been convincing. We'll see to it how they pan out after the international break. Uh, Real Madrid, as I said, were at the Santiago Bernabeu, the new Santiago Bernabeu, as they say now, uh, against Hetafe. They, they really had to grind this result down. They were not good in this game, but yet again, with the resources that they have, with the resources that Carlo Ancelotti has at his disposal, it was a very good game, in my opinion, that they got three points. Because Etaf is not a good nut, uh, is not is not an easy nut to crack. It is a very tough opposition. They're defensively very solid. They do not give away chances very easily. Uh, I thought um, the goalkeeper David Soria had a very very good game in the first half, and even in the second half, uh, Real Madrid hit the post twice with Rodrigo at the very end, and also with Carvajal, who went for a very clever little uh, clever little trick because he was trying to just. Uh, wrong for the goalkeeper had already slided on uh, to uh, mark his front post. But anyways, this was uh, this was a very good goalkeeping experience, a uh, goalkeeping performance by David Soria. This has happened for the second time, where even in that last game uh, against Celta de Vigo, the goalkeeper had a very very good game. I mean, Ivan Villar, if I'm not wrong, he had a very very good game. So I think they're just getting on the back of some very tough goalkeeping performances. But anyways, Real Madrid got themselves a victory, a goal for Joselu. Uh, who had an amazing shot saved by uh, David Soria. Um, uh, Jude Bellingham getting himself again on the score sheet. Uh, this was, again, a number nine score, in my opinion. Uh, by the way, shout out to Toni Kroos, who had an amazing clinic in the second half. The way he was playing, I mean, oh, God, my goodness me. He was knitting up passes every single time, here and there and here and there. This was not like Barcelona trying to control the game. This was proper controlling of the game. The way he dictated the tempo of the game in the second half was just amazing to watch happen. And then you've got players like Valverde coming off the bench. I mean, it's just ridiculous depth that they have got, uh, that we've got, uh, I should say, uh, in, in, in these areas. Fran Garcia, it's a bit of a concern because he was not that great in this first half. Um, but yeah, I think, again, you take all three points with the way the team is constructed right now. You've got nothing more to add to it. Um, uh, if I may talk about the transfer window, this has been a big L for Real Madrid and to Florentino Perez because this Mbappe obsession is going to cost us uh, another season because you, you you see nothing from this Real Madrid side offensively and I, I don't know what to say, but it's just, it's just not good enough. It, it really is not good enough if you're Real Madrid because your offensive options are really Rodrigo and... Jose Lu, and then you've got Brahim Diaz coming off the bench. Who had two very, very good, op- uh, two very, very good outings. Went against Almeria, and the and now this one against uh, Hetafe at home. So you would see that you know a lot of uh, a lot of responsibilities are on these guys. But 
I don't know where the goals are going to come from. I have a lot of expectations now from Arda Guler when he comes back from injury. There's a lot of ifs, buts and maybes, but it's just, I'm getting a bit frustrated now. He's just trying to get my patience. And I, don't, I want someone to sign for, um, for the January transfer window or anything, or, or, or if anyways, I, I would like to see Alvaro Rodriguez being given an extended run in this team and eventually becoming an important piece of this puzzle at Real Madrid this season. But will Carlo Ancelotti grant him that, that, that luxury? I, I've got no idea, but well, let's see. Uh, moving on from La Liga to Serie A, where we had uh, Maurizio Sarri returning back to the uh, Serie San Paolo, or now is it called as the uh, Maraona, where Lazio faced Napoli and they got themselves a result. Luis Alberto Masterclass, that was uh, um, oh, an amazing, amazing atmosphere uh, for, uh, for for this day, for this game. But you know, Napoli they got themselves a first loss of the season. They were very convincing in those first few games of the season against Sassuolo, against uh, uh, Frosinone. But this was a completely different atmosphere, a completely different game. I thought they uh, the, the way Lazio handled up Victor Osimhen was really good. Kvaratskhelia did not have much to add to in this game. Uh, he started this game ahead of Raspadori. Um, but nothing to add to this one. Uh, I thought the way uh, uh, Lazio played in this game was really amazing. Uh, I thought Daichi Kamara had a very, very good game. He got himself a goal as well in the end. Um, I thought Cataldi is really proving out to be one of the best center, uh, cent- central defensive midfielders in the Serie A. He played really well. Um, as far as Napoli goes, I thought they were disappointing in many ways. Victor Osimhen did not have much to say about in this game. He had a frustrating evening against Asuolo last weekend, uh, but this one was more frustrating because he did not have any goals in this one. Uh, he did not have any sniff at goal, in my opinion. Uh, I thought um, the way Lazio played, they had goals disallowed in the in the end with Mattia Ganduzzi and he also a Canyon scoring in uh, uh, for them, but. Anyways, I thought uh, this was uh, more to talk about Luis Alberto and he had a very, very good game for Lazio. They had a very rocky start of the season, Lazio, didn't they? But now they've picked up a big victory. They're in a very manageable group with uh, Feyenoord and... uh, um, uh, With with Feyenoord, with uh, Atletico Madrid and Celtic. So I think they should manage it. They should manage it well. And I think they... I've got no uh, no reasons to not qualify for the last 16 from from the group stage. So I think it's it's going to be very interesting. As for Napoli, as I said, a very tricky one with uh, Union Berlin, Braga, who are very good this season, and also uh, Real Madrid in this uh, in in the same group uh, in the Champions League. We'll see what happens. I think for Napoli, it's not much of a concern. You can see that they're going to be a very good team as the season wears on. But uh, this this loss is just kind of an alarm bell for them. Uh, Juventus uh, in this uh, match day were up against Empoli in this game, away at Empoli, and I think it was a really positive display from Juventus, uh, not the one that they had uh, last weekend against Bologna. But uh, yeah, this was, as I said, a very positive display, uh, but I think Empoli had nothing to nothing to work around in this game. It was just disappointing in many ways. Um, I thought Federico Chiesa had a very good goal. So did Danilo. Uh, which, uh, Danilo's goal was also very good, which led to an almighty scramble in the penalty area leading from a corner. But he took that goal really well. Uh, what, I, 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 for one, thought that they were playing really well in the end. Uh, deserved everything that, that comes their way. Really good result, in my opinion. I, I just nothing to, more to add to it. Um, I thought again a very positive display from Inter in the in their match uh, in the Serie A this weekend. 
they were very, very good as well, where they faced, uh, I don't remember who they faced, uh, yeah, they faced Fiorentina, who were uh, not having Sofian Amrabat as he's moved on to Manchester United. Um, Marcus Turan got himself a goal in the first half. It's a very, very well-taken goal, uh, adding to what was another very, very good game for him. Yeah, in all positive display for Inter, they get all three points. They have had a very, very positive start to the season. So let's see how they work out their things. Uh, they are in a very, very favorable group where they have uh, they have Salzburg, if I'm not wrong. They have uh, Benfica. So that, that, should, that should take care of itself. Uh, I, I do think there's another team in there. I think Real Sociedad are the other team. So it's going to be a bit tricky. I won't be surprised if some of the other teams will have a bad patch. Do not get out of this group. I think Benfica are the favourites. Just they're having a very good season in the Liga Portugal. Um, of course, uh, Inter are a very accomplished side themselves. The Champions League finalists last time around. So we'll see. It's, it's a very open group. Uh, I think uh, between Sol Salzburg and also, of course, some problems on their day. Uh, with the talent that they scout in from somewhere. I don't know from where. But they do have some very good players around. The team as well but we'll see we'll see what happens with them so that's it from me today that be sure to check into my other podcast it is weekly pod underscore ott on twitter do sure be sure to follow me there on twitter and i'll be sharing you a lot of things uh, from my twitter account uh, but until the next podcast i think it will be an international break so we'll see if anything comes out um, so yeah until the international break this was a host mayuresh matkar thank you very much cheerio Hey there everyone, welcome aboard to a new episode of the Between the Lines podcast. This is your host Mayuresh Bhatkar and today we'll take a look at some of the big games which happened across the weekend again. We will take a look at what happened in the Bundesliga where we had the original Der Klassiker between Borussia Mönchengladbach and Bayern Munich. We also will be taking a look at Bayern Leverkusen and their brilliant start to their season. We'll talk about Union Berlin taking on RB Leipzig and how that uh, turned out to be for the two teams. We'll also talk a little bit about the La Liga and the Serie A and a few games in the Premier League as well. But first up, we need to take a look at what happened at the Emirates Stadium where Manchester United turned up and got beaten by Arsenal by three goals to one. <laughs> 